Ron and Anian. The insurance and the lawyers follow the money. So they come after the guy that's the most accessible. Am I the only one who hears the screams and the strangled cries of lawyers in love? The Car Doctor. Losing oil one quart per 500 miles, losing coolant one quart per day and there's oil leaking out the bottom, there's a heavy oil leak here somewhere. If you're going to begin diagnosing it, you've got to wash everything down, look for the oil leaks. Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian, the car doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. And now, here's Ronnie. hey Welcome. Ron and Indian Car Doctor here, 855-560-9900. More information at cardoctorshow.com, as well as podcasting at TuneIn, iHeart, iTunes, Google Play and uh, various other places that you can take the car doctor with you by podcast form, whatever your heart desires, um, and uh, you know, listen to the show whenever you want. We are live on the network Saturday afternoons, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern time, so if you do want to, you can call into the 855-560-9900 phone number, and uh, we can talk live, or you can leave a message, and we will call you back and put you in the lineup for the following week. 98 Jeep Wrangler came into the shop this week. I want to tell you this story. I just want to show you the, the, the extremes and... You know, how different auto repair can be, and it just takes you down different paths and different roads. 98 Jeep Wrangler 4-liter came into the shop this week with the idle speed stuck at about three grand, 2,500 to 3,000 RPM. The customer, wanting to be a mechanic, I guess, in a sense, had tried diagnosing it. The check engine light was on. It had a P0123 throttle position sensor circuit voltage high. They replaced the TPS twice. With aftermarket throttle position sensors, they went to Chrysler, got a Chrysler throttle position sensor right out of Jeep's bins, put that on, same problem. It ended up on my doorstep after everybody got tired of pulling their hair out and figuring out what was possibly wrong with it. A little bit of diagnosis, jumped into it, signed them up, gave them the usual diagnostic routine drill, signed it up and uh, went through, yeah, it had a P0123. Started looking at throttle position sensor, I had 5 volts, I had ground. I had signal returned, but the signal that I saw at the sensor was different than what I saw on the scan tool. Hmm. Do I have a harness issue? Do I have wiring? Do I have a PCM problem? Where do I want to go? Well, once I had some basics down, I always go back and I sat down and I started doing some research looking for bulletins, looking into the pattern failure database. And sure enough, in the pattern failure database, there was conversation about, and I had seen this with the clock spring for the airbag being bad, creating a high idle issue. It creates a cross-circuit problem, and it causes it skews the data for the TPS signal coming out of the sensor, and it confuses the PCM. But the problem with this car was more than just the clock spring. Um, part of the diagnosis involved, and dig this, for a high idle problem and a throttle position sensor circuit fault, all things being normal, part of the diagnosis is to unplug or just pull out the horn relay. If the idle speed drops to normal, then there is a fault in the airbag circuit, which pulls power out of the horn relay circuit, too. Turns out pulling the horn relay didn't make the change. 
But on a suspicion and a hunch and doing a little bit of digging, I pulled the black wire out from underneath the horn relay. They had jumpered it up inside the fuse box under the hood, and that solved the problem for them. And I suppose that the point of all this is you have to expect the unexpected. You have to look beyond just the part. You know, I understand the consumer, the vehicle owner in this case, P0123, voltage high. He didn't have a scan tool. He didn't have the ability to measure voltage. And naturally, everybody goes for the part. We all have. We all do. We all will continue to do so and hope for the best. And probably 70% of the time, sensors and parts do fix cars. But it's that other 30% that creates repairs like this that leaves everybody scratching their head. The horn hasn't worked on this vehicle, well, in quite some time. He's owned it a year and it would seem that what happened was buying this used car with 175,000 miles on it created a little bit of a pig and a poke in that not really sure what was there prior. The clock spring is most likely in need of repair. The horn relay disconnect and the wire for the horn, they were using a separate wire to trigger the horn. That disconnect did solve it for him, and he's going to be back in two weeks. We'll, we'll, we'll dope out the rest, but at least we got him driving and down the road. But Look at the how a simple repair, a simple circuit fault, becomes complicated and confusing based on somebody else wiring around or I know how to fix that and adding a wire to it. That's a 98 car. That's 18 years old. What's going to happen when somebody starts adding wires and components that aren't supposed to be there to a 2016 or a 2017 and beyond? And all of a sudden, we've got a lot bigger problems on our hands. So it's going to be very interesting to see where the future goes. We're talking a lot about the future, it seems, lately, and it's because some of the things I see in the classes and on the drawing board are just sending shivers down my spine saying, I don't see how anybody's going to be able to fix this stuff. But if you've got a 98 Jeep Wrangler and you've got a high idle, try unplugging the horn relay and see what that does for you. 855-560-9900. I am Ron Anini in the car doctor. Let's kick open the garage doors and let's get going. Let's go talk to Tom in West Nyack, New York, 2016 Camaro, and some questions. Yes, Tom, how can I help you, sir? Hi, Ron. How are you? Good, man. Um, What's going on? Good. Uh, I'm going to put my Camaro to bed for the winter. Okay. Um, pretty soon. And I was just wondering um, if you got any points or advice. It's the first one I've ever done. Um, so far, all I've thought about was filling the tank using some fuel stabilizer. And I was also wondering about whether or not to put a battery tender on it. Um, I'll tell you how I put black away. All right? I, I put black away, and she's lucky enough. She has a heated garage. All right, because I th- I think if you can get it into a heated garage, it's it's very beneficial to it. All right. Well, mine's under the house, and it never drops below like forty degrees on okay. the coldest day. So it's got some sort of heat, so that's good. All right. Um, I would overinflate the tires, roughly six to eight pounds. Uh, you know, maybe mine are um, mine are Eagle F one run flats. Can I still do that? Yeah. Why not? Okay. Yeah. Why not? It's just a. It's just a. It's it's not going to hurt anything. Like I said, it's, it's the idea. I just I just want to keep the tires a little pumped up because they're going to lose air over five months. Um, okay. And and that's one issue. Number one. Number two. Do you have the ability to put it up on some sort of a jack stand or get it off the tires so the sprung weight the the, the suspension is hanging? I've been looking around at the um, Ben Pack uh, Ranger jacks. Right. I don't know if you're familiar, I don't know if you're familiar with them. Are they they're the ones that are real low and they grab the chassis? Yep. Yeah. Yep. 
Yep, I was, I was looking at those. I w- I've been thinking about that because I, I usually like to change my own oil and stuff on this car. It's impossible to get underneath it. Right. And, um, so I was thinking about it. I was thinking about both. So if I did that, I should put it up on, on a jack. Yeah, you know, get it, you know, obviously secure, but get it up, put it on the, on the, on the body section so that the, fir- so that the wheels, the suspension is hanging. Cool. And, and okay. I think that, you know, because over time, you know, one season probably won't make a difference, Tom. But you right. know, two seasons, three seasons, and all of a sudden, you know, at what point does the suspension get a little, get to the point where it's a little lower than it should have been because it's just sitting so long, and and, and that can create issues, uh, okay. you know. So yeah, and I agree with the idea about the battery tender. I'm not a fan, you know. I've kind of fallen out of being a fan of fuel stabilizer. I really okay. Yeah, I don't know. I you know I haven't. It's not that I've read bad things about it, but I wonder we're putting so many weird chemicals into the tanks of cars today just by putting gasoline in them. And okay. and I wonder, you know, I wonder what General Motors' position is on stabilizer. Sitting here thinking about it, and I would probably research it from their angle. If they say yeah, it's okay, they don't see long term detriment to putting a stabilizer in, then I'm okay with it. But I would want to get the manufacturer's opinion because they know better than you or I what's really in that tank, what sort of rubber or plastic or other componentry, and how it will be affected by the by the fuel stabilizers. Will they have any effect think, on it? Do you think I would get a good answer from the dealer, or would the dealer, whoever I'm speaking to, would the dealer just be voicing his opinion? Um, who else would I go to? Well, I would kind of ask him for you know if he says yeah, here's the official. I would look for what does the owner's manual say. Are there any bulletins on it? What does the service information check that. say? I, I never checked that. You know, um, to that point, if you've been around the dealership more than once, getting the car's oil changed or getting its service, or just, I would find the uh, hey, who's the best tech in the shop, and I would you know go buy him a cup of coffee and sit with him for five minutes, and you'll probably get more information than you want because I'm, okay. I'm sure you're not the first guy to ask that question about fuel stabilizer. You know, probably not. So and but, getting back to the battery tender. Yeah, I like that idea. Absolutely. I saw I saw two. Um, one is a battery tender junior, and it, it's the 12 volts, and it, it charges at 0.75 amps. And then they have their battery tender plus, which is uh, charges at 1.25. Does it, they both do a float maintenance? Um, they, they they both keep the battery you know maintained. So does it matter which way I go? No, I th- I've got to think, and that's a question for them. I want to know what's their what are they rated on? When do they decide to use one or the other? My guess is, it's based on the cranking amperage of the individual battery for that vehicle, because that's going to change internal resistance and internal construction. So which charger, which tender can you know do a better job? You know, some, According to their website, it's fully automatic. It does whatever the battery calls for at the time. As when one of them is actually uh, um, maintains temperature. It actually regulates it according to temperature uh, where you're storing it. One so of it the, takes temperature of the garage in, into account. One of them does. Yes, the uh, battery tender plus, I believe, does. Right. So is is that, is that really the difference and really why they came up with? A battery, a, a plus versus a base version. If if that's it, then okay, then it's got a feature in it that the other one doesn't have, just as a price point. But what's the real reason why one's got a higher charge rate than the other? I w- I would want to know the answer to that question. Uh, you know, okay. I, I don't think it's going to matter all that much. I've seen an awful lot also where people are plugging into the OBD2 ports and they're using the solar panels, the solar chargers, and they're putting them on the outside of the house. They're running a long cable into the car. You know, through the crack of the door. Yeah, why not? 
and just just use the sun. Uh, the worst that's going to happen is in the winter months, you're going to have to make sure you keep snow and weather off of it. But, you know, a solar charger, listen, I've got a trailer next to the shop, and I've got a battery that runs the lights or ran the lights in that. And for the better part of three years, I used a solar charger to charge that battery. I never hooked a battery charger up to it once. I've seen that on their website. They even have a Bluetooth. Um, you can actually operate your battery charger via Bluetooth on your phone. Yeah, let's not get let's not get too no, crazy. No, I know that. I know, I know, I know. I'm just saying it, it's really you can you can Bluetooth just about anything. These right. Days. So, I'll be able to cook dinner from right. from my car. You know, listen. I I put a um I put an Amazon Echo here in the studio, Alexa, and okay. um you know I found out that I can use Alexa to control the thermostat. In the room, if I put a smart thermostat in, yep. So yep. Yep. it's it's yeah, it's 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 overkill. It's it's getting to that point. So, all right, sir. I, I appreciate it. You're very welcome. Thank you very much. You're very welcome, Tom. You have a good rest of the day. Eight five five. Yeah, you want to hear? Wait a minute. Let's see. Alexa, what time is it? It's three nineteen p.m. There you go. That means I'm late. i got to get out for the hour. It's 855-560-9900. I'm Ron Anany, The Car Doctor. I'll be back right after this. Welcome back. And uh, Ron Anany in here. Um, by the way, I owe this to Tony. Hey, Tony, who are the Giants playing tomorrow? Philadelphia. Oh, they're going to lose. I'm you just, think so? I'm just putting the whammy on it for you. Okay, thank this, you. This I appreciate that. Because I love okay. you. All right. So you heard what Tom said. I don't know what Tom's saying. We'll get even. So yeah, you'll get even because they'll actually yeah you'll start rooting for the Jets. <laughs> no. Uh, yeah. No. No. It's over for them. Let's go over and talk to. Uh, speaking of over, let's get over and talk to Ben in New York with an 04 Concord and uh, see what's going on here. Hey Ben, thank you. I had to I had to do that for Tony because if I don't say that about the Giants, they always lose. So this way they'll win tomorrow. So. <laughs> Um, Hi, Ron. Yes, sir. What's going on? I got an old Ford Concord. I've had it for since I had 30,000 miles. We're at 190-plus, and the uh, car runs fine. Everything works fine, but the uh, nobody could ever seem to perfect the uh, temperature control. Uh, we just pulled off. We're on the mass bike. I just pulled off, and uh, the air conditioning comes on. Now, it's 52 out. And the temperature is set at 73 degrees in, on the automatic temperature control. There's got to be something, you know, a valve someplace that tells that when to send heat and when to send air. But nobody seems to know. Well, there's a couple of things that would go wrong with these. They, they, would, they would have calibration issues. They would have thermistor problems. They could have blend door issues. Um, has anybody tried to pull trouble codes out of the control head? Uh, I've had it at the dealers. I've had it at air conditioning shops. The air conditioning guy wanted to. Replaced the whole system for fifteen hundred dollars. Okay, but but has anybody ago, has anybody know? has anybody so, has anybody tried to pull codes out of the control head? I don't I don't know I don't know how you know you know how do they how do they, this stuff, but. how do they how do they come to the diagnostic conclusion? I know they said there's nothing wrong with it. Okay, here's what we're going to do. You're you're safe on the side of the road. I am. Okay, is the car running? Yes. Set the temp control to 75 degrees. We're going to diagnose a car on air. Why not? Let's give it a shot. All right? Okay. Set the 75. 75. Okay. You want to press and hold the floor, mix, and the frost buttons at the same time. Chrysler engineers assume you had three hands. Tell okay. me which ones. Floor, mix, and the frost buttons. Floor, mix, 
in the floor. And defrost. Uh, no, floor mix and floor defrost. Mix. And defrost. Okay, I got it. Okay. Hold them, and the AT, the AT, the automatic temp control head display is going to blink, right? No. Let me see. The floor, how do you hold the other one? Is it push it in the middle? You need you need three fingers. That's the problem. Yeah, floor, mix, and defrost buttons at the same time. And it should it should be that the temp control display is going to blink, and that's when you release it. That's putting it into diagnostic mode. You can't the defrost and the mix one is they're on the same one. So okay, you know. so floor mix. Oh, I just remember looking for floor mix and defrost. So hold the floor, hold the floor and defrost. If floor and mix are on the same, hold floor mix and defrost together. Does the head start to blink? No. Okay. It's getting hot in here. <laughs> well, I, I can imagine. Because I have, because I have a temperature gauge, uh, you know, room that you stick in the vents. Right. It, it's going up. It's uh, you know closing in on just over 70 degrees now. Okay. But the idea is you're supposed to be able to hold those buttons down, put the, put the okay. control head into, into diagnostic mode, it will go through a okay. series of self-tests, and then it will spit out trouble codes that are stored in the BCM. Yeah, you know, now that you say that, I remember them doing that. I remember the dealer doing that. And, what, and it said there was no codes. Okay. He said it was mine. Yeah. Now, was that back, how how, how long ago was that? Uh, that was probably five or six years ago. Right. So the fact that this has gone on for five or six years... I, you know, I'd, I'd like to see somebody just try and retrieve codes out of it. Because I can tell you right off the bat, if you're holding floor mix and defrost and you don't get it to go into diagnostic display. Yeah, something's not right. Something's not right. It's got to be able to self-test itself. I'll tell you what. Let's do, let's do this, Ben. Um, can you remember my email? Sure. Ron, Ron at cardoctorshow.com. Let me see. Just, it's simple. Ron at cardoctorshow.com. Send me an email, and I will find the procedure on how to pull codes out of the control head and email it to you, and then at least you've got a basis on where to begin a diagnosis from. All right, brother? Ron, Ron at cardoctorshow.com, and I'll send you an email. I got to go. I'm, I'm running over here. I'll be back right after this. the car doctor um quick piece of email and this was this was interesting i i think we commented on this last week but i want to make sure we cover it hey ron you've got it backwards you are the rare exception where shop actually uses quality parts i did talk about this last week right we bring our parts to the mechanics because we want to make sure the part installed is not garbage the problem with this is and i, I wanted to mention this as part of my conversation this week the problem with this is it still doesn't solve the issue of liability and I, I just wonder, are we going to get to the point where repair shops are required to, you know, have a quality rating? Hey, we think, you know, this is a good, better, best scenario. Here's the best part we can get. Here's what it's going to cost, that type of thing. Because somewhere along the way, things like this are going to become an issue from a liability perspective. 
And, um, you know, it's going to create problems for both the repair shop and the consumer. And, you know, that's going on the assumption that and the probability that there's going to be issues with regards to we're using parts. I'll tell you this story. We had a 2010 Chevy Silverado in the shop this week. The problem with the car was that the heat didn't work properly. They were driving through the mountains and the windows got all fogged up and steamed up, and the defroster wouldn't clear the glass. Brought the car into the shop. They made an appointment, brought it in, and looked at it with my first car Monday morning this past week. And, you know, in the old days, you get complaints about, and I say old days, I you know, 10 years ago, you would get complaints about no heat or low heat output or not enough defroster. Where are you going first? The first thing off the top of your head is you're thinking, well, do I have a thermostat issue? Do I have low coolant? Do I have a restricted heater core? Do I have, you know, something mechanical that failed, a component that kept the vehicle from operating? And I went through all that, and the OBD2 has made diagnosing something so easy. Hooked up a scan tool, went for a ride. The car maintained 192 degrees all the time. It, it didn't have any issues. It maintained engine temperature nice and solid. Okay, I've got enough heat. Both heater hoses were hot. As a matter of fact, the heat was hot. The heat worked absolutely perfect. Great. I've got an intermittent loss of heat on defrost only driving through the mountains. Where are you going to go? You go to bulletins. I went through and I read bulletins. And I read a lot of bulletins. I, don't, I can't see them all. I can't remember them all. And sure enough, in the, in the bulletin database, there was one from General Motors that talked about when driving and operating the heat or and or defroster in ambient temperatures that are changing suddenly will create fogging conditions and how the temp control head will react to that and whether or not it has the ability to clear the windshield. The repair? <laughs> Where did we start this conversation? We were talking about parts. Well, as you guessed, the repair was to reflash the onboard computer, which is what I ended up doing. Logged into AC Delco TIS and put the latest software in the car, car's fixed. So where's the repair of the future going to be? I wonder how people are going to bring me their own software. Is that possible? Are you going to have that ability? And here's the other advantage of doing software updates, and it's not just to fix current problems, but it's for the problem that you don't even know is there. So ended up going through, once I was logged in and hooked up, I always go through and I look at the rest of the modules, and there was there was oh, there was about a half a dozen that needed to be updated, and ended up doing a reflash on the PCM and the trans control module as they needed updates. And you know, what <laughs> was there an issue? No, but you know what? You're updating software, and software prevents the problem from ever happening, and that's a good thing too. So just just. You know, the parts liability thing is huge, but will it ever affect us in the future? I don't know, because are we just going to be fixing cars with parts? And and, and that becomes a, a, a huge issue, too. So um, just something to think about. Hey, another piece of email. This comes to us from Todd, Midland Park, New Jersey. Hey, Ron, is it okay to switch back and forth between conventional and synthetic oil? He doesn't give me a year maker model specification. This comes to us from Todd, longtime listener. Um, yeah, listen, Todd, it is okay to switch back and forth between conventional and synthetic. I don't know why you would. Uh, you know, it's, it's in my mind, this is like switching partners. You know, you find somebody you like, you stick with them. Um, we're not going to keep bouncing around. Uh, you know, it doesn't make any sense. Is there any long-term damage that can be done from switching from conventional to synthetic? 
Uh, you can confuse the heck out of the mechanic because he's thinking whether you need a 4,000-mile oil change sticker or a 6,000-mile oil change sticker because um, obviously there's a difference there. But I think that what we really need to understand is there's no advantage to it. Um, listen, let me answer the question this way. In my mind, on every vehicle I own, I'm using synthetic. And I'm doing that because the price difference, okay, I get it. I'm, I'm buying the oil a little bit better than you. But the price difference is, is, is worth it to me because the synthetic does give better protection overall. And if I'm running late and I can't get to an oil change on time and I let it go two weeks or a month late, oh, my gosh, the world's going to tilt off its axis. But, you know, you get the idea. I know I've got a better quality oil in there. Um, how often do I change it? That's a different conversation because that's – and I've talked about that here, that I will change synthetic oil as early as 4,000 miles, if not a little earlier. Uh, but that's just my way of doing things. But then again, the majority of my cars hit time before they hit mileage because I'm not a big mileage. You know, I, um, when I go to work, I'm, I'm all of 12 minutes from the shop and, and vice versa. My big trip is to the chiropractor in Paramus all the way down on the other end of Bergen County. Um, it's like it takes me 20 minutes. Like, oh, boy, that's my big Saturday ride. So, uh, you know, but, yeah, conventional and synthetic, it's okay to switch. I don't know that I would. I would prefer to see you use synthetic, and if you want to find out more about synthetic oil, where else would you go? But get out to the Pennzoil website and uh, take a look at their line of platinum ultra oils. Get out to Pennzoil Oil Synthetics. Or actually, I think the website changed. I think it's Pennzoil Ultra Platinum. And um, uh, take a look at that and see what that tells you. But um, definitely synthetic is the way to go. 855-560-9900. I am Ron Nanny and the Car Doctor, and I'll be back right after this. Here I come in my Welcome back. We're on the Indian the Car Doctor. 855-560-9900 is the 24-7 phone number. Give us a call at 855-560-9900. Leave a message if we're not on the air. We're live Saturdays, 2 to 4 p.m. out on the network Eastern Time. And if you leave a message at 855-560-9900, we will call you back and get you in the lineup for the following week. Um, I, I, I do have to do a little bit of housekeeping, just uh, one announcement. Um, hasn't happened often, but first time probably in 26 years, I sort of made a mistake. Well, actually, it wasn't a car mistake. Um, it was sort of like an office mistake. It was sort of like a radio office mistake. Um, I'm trying to tell you nicely that remember last week how we were giving away Car Doctor T-shirts? And and Tom did a really nice job. He wrote the list and he all the sizes and the names and the addresses. And then I got to the end of the show and he handed it to me. And there were some other papers there and I read through those papers and I'm kind of busy. I mean, I got a lot going on. And I put those papers in the shredder. Last night I was at the bank and... I'm thinking, did I get everything done in time for the show tomorrow? i got to go send out those T-shirts. Gee, it's funny. I can't seem to find that piece of paper. So unless it turns up here in the studio somewhere, which I don't think it's going to, Tom's going to grab the mic and yell at me now, folks. Help me. Oh, no, no, no. Tony just got off the phone. He uh, he just ordered the guy to come flog you at the end of the show. Yeah, because be Vinny with the bat. So, yes. uh, yeah, I um, so I just want to let everybody know that, Tom, I did shred the piece of paper because I thought our listener database should be kept secret. Um, listen, 
What do you think my name is? Hillary Clinton? You think I'm going to put emails out there for everybody to see in here? This way I figured if I shred everything, we'll keep it a secret and security. Look, I told you I would not maintain your private server. Right. There you go. Um, so I just want to let you know that if you're one of those, I think it was three or four. And listen, before everybody starts calling in saying it was me, we can go back and listen to that last hour, that last week's show. And we can identify who it is. But let's go on the honor system here. If somebody out there is... um. Uh, if, if we promised you a T-shirt last week, if you were one of the three or four, please just you know give us a call. We'll get you back on the list. We've got to get your info. But um, we just have no way to contact you because somebody made a mistake, and that person shall remain nameless because it's the boss. I want to do a quick piece of email before I pull over again. Um, this came to me from Chris. Chris was a, is a listener, and uh, he found me via email. Um, 2006 Dodge Charger, and I thought this was a tragic tale of how cars change and how the business is changing. 2006 Dodge Charger RT57, 175,000 miles on it. His problem, he wrote in his email, is intermittent stalling at lights, and while stopped in traffic, the power cuts out while driving as if the car is going to die. Check engine light comes on and off intermittently. He's had a bunch of codes, and this has been going on for a while. His most recent codes are all computer-related, P0700, 1408, and U0100. Currently, the P0700 and the U0100 are stored. You know, and he goes into history, and he had this accident and some of these other things, and they're not necessarily relevant to this, but the U100 is the most relevant fault, because I wanted to tell you this tale of well before I, I pull over here. What I told Chris and what I'm telling you, and this just goes to show you how critical and what the problems are, how cars become. The problem with the U100, I have never not seen it be a fault in the engine compartment wiring harness. Think about that a minute, right? The wiring harness from the engine compartment back to about the midpoint of the car where it plugs in has issues with heart, with the harness rubbing together, melting together, um, shorting, and it needs to be replaced. Well, it used to need to be replaced because the problem now is that they no longer make that wiring harness. Chrysler eliminated that part. So if you own a 2006 Dodge Charger RT 5.7 and you want a wiring harness for it, either you're going to find somebody in the aftermarket, of which I don't know anybody that makes it, or you're going to junk the car. So they're only as good as the parts that you can continue to get for them. I keep saying this. Nobody's listening. In Chris's case, I told him, I said, listen, I've seen the job done. It's it's uh, I've, the dealers are the ones that were doing them up until about a year ago when the harness no longer became available when obsolete. Um, it's it's ten twelve hours to take the harness out. It's ten twelve hours to put the harness in, and if you're taking it out to repair it, it's typically five to eight hours of bench time to go through the harness piece by piece, unwrap, tape everything, put it together, solder, repair, etc., and hope you got the problem, put it back in the car. The bigger problem, or one of the bigger problems, is. The harness, after 10 years under the hood, is now so baked and brittle and formed in such a shape that you're never going to get it out easily or back in easily. So U100 is the tip-off. That's the fault code. It's a communication on the data bus problem. And um, I explained all this to Chris. I've yet to hear back from him. He either thinks I'm nuts or he got rid of the car. So, Chris, if you're listening, Sorry to break your heart, buddy, but um, I'm here to tell you what you need to know, not necessarily what you want to hear. Anyway, 855-560-9900. I am Ron Anini and the Car Doctor. We'll be back to wrap it up right after this. 
Welcome back. We're on the the car doctor, 855-560-9900. I see we have a call on line one. I think the car doctor is going to get scolded. Al from Maryland. Hey, Ron. Yes, sir. This is Al from Maryland. I called you last week. I'm the guy with the exploding um, uh, Chinese tire. Oh, yeah. And I got to tell you, I burned all of my shirts waiting for that T-shirt to come. And I'm sitting here in my underwear now. You know, know, Al, I'm having this vision of you sitting there shirtless waiting for this T-shirt to show up. And now I think I'm blind. Um, But, uh, yeah, that's a true story. I was sitting... I was sitting in the bank parking lot last night going, okay, we're all ready for tomorrow. And I'm going, you know, and all week there was something on my mind, like I've got to do something. And just one thing got out of sequence. And there it is. Yeah. And, and there it is. So your T-shirt will go out this week, I promise. Tom's got hey, all the information. Then, and then he called me and, and said, you know, I think I accidentally shredded the list. And I was like, excuse me? Yeah. So, well, listen. Hey, listen, on a serious note, I got to tell you, there are very few guys who would have had the honesty to get on the air on national radio and admit that you screwed up. And, I, you know, it's just another indication of the type of guy you are and why I listen to this show. Well, I appreciate so that. So hats I off really to you do. for being as honest as you are. Listen, maybe I could run for president. I could get elected Tuesday. So at least... Oh, we, man, you'd be a damn sight better than what we got. At, at, at least we know At least we know if um, if I did something wrong with emails or something else, at least you know if I shredded it, i tell you the truth. So, um, you know, case for another day. Got Al, it. Absolutely right. T-shirt with T-shirt. Hey, listen, thanks again, buddy. Love your show and keep up the good work. Thank you, sir. I appreciate that you make me blush if this was thank god this isn't tv because you'd see me red um but uh yeah that's you know listen there's a lot going on there's a lot going on uh personally there's a lot going on in the shop we're just busy 24 7 i'm not making excuses i'm just saying you know what i screwed up and i shredded the list um you know yes tom we thought you were running cars are uh well um let me tell you you know what i guess we should you know well yeah that's um you know i don't know what's going on and in a sense of why the shop is so busy. But right now we're about 10 days out, and that's just not like us. Usually we're a week. We're, we're about we're 10, 14 days out busy-wise now. And I think it has to do with a couple of local shops have closed down. I've noticed a trend that since the summer um, we've been picking up. We're actually getting busier going into the winter than slower. That's number one. Number two, doing more diagnostics and more computer flashing than we were a year ago. So that tells me the trend is maintaining itself and where it's going. As a matter of fact, I'm doing a long-distance flash. Uh, I've been working on the ambulance in town for one of the local repair shops. Um, it's it's dead in their parking lot. And, you know, what do you do with a 12,000-pound ambulance? It's not exactly the easiest thing to put on the back of a flatbed. So I've been going over there with my Ford IDS scan tool and, and accessing and open it out and getting it ready for a computer and um, trying to do a computer reflash in the middle of a dirt parking lot oh boy isn't that exciting so uh i'm just trying to make that work it's uh, it's just part of the hey ron and Indian's busy factor so but um, no excuses just it's uh, just the way it is hey real quick i was reading a website and i think these guys have their heart in the right places i think um, they're really trying to help the industry and um, if you are an employer or if you are a technician and you're looking for a career get out to auto AutoCareCareers.org. I'll do that again. AutoCareCareers.org. They're trying to tie up the loose ends, and people want careers. We're going to need people to fix cars, and they're trying to bring the people that need to fix cars or need people to fix cars and people that want to fix cars together. AutoCareCareers.org. I don't mind giving them a plug. They've got a good idea here, and they're trying to for a good cause. I'm Ron and Annie in the car, Doctor. The mechanics aren't expensive. They're priceless. See you. 